Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is the Fed done hiking rates? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Andrea Steno Larson, founder of Steno Research and senior markets editor here at Real Vision, and Darius Dale, founder of 42 Macro. Hi, gentlemen. Hey, Maggie. What's up, Andreas? I've got I got a dream team here today. Um, just a reminder to everybody before we jump in, this is an extended daily briefing, lucky us. So we're going to go for an hour today. If you want to stay with us for the entire time and participate in the questions in the second half, you need to be a member. So scan that QR code and jump on the trials we have going. Uh, so we had Federal Reserve raise Fed funds rate another 25 basis points as expected. I mean, not a lot of fireworks out of this one, but Darius, what, what did you make of the the press what we heard from Jerome Powell the the chairman in the press conference yeah that was a lot of uh, waiting around to hear a lot of nothing unfortunately <laughs> I mean I think the only thing we actually learned as investors from the press conference and the and the statement uh, was that September is live and that there's a possibility that they can continue quantitative tightening while cutting interest rates next year but I don't think we really need to worry about that as market participants today yeah. Um, patient as well as resolute, right? It's the same message they've been banging on about. Andreas, anything catch your eye? And we should point out, it's not just the Fed this week. We also have the EC, we had Canada, they hiked. We have the ECB and the BOJ coming up as well. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the press release, first of all, I think they changed one sentence and one sentence only. They um, They changed the wording on the growth outlook from a modest growth pace to a moderate growth pace. And I simply had to look that up in the dictionary since I'm not a native speaker. And apparently moderate is a slightly more optimistic word than modest. Uh, that's about as much uh, detail <laughs> as we got from the Federal Reserve today. But I guess on the margin, you could argue that they uh, are slightly more upbeat than in June. And therefore, I'm not overly convinced that this was the last rate hike. Mm. Okay. What about what about either of you expecting anything more interesting from the ECB or the BOJ? Yeah. Well, from my perspective, the data in Europe has soured pretty significantly in the last sort of you know intermediate period between the ECB's last rate hike. So it's inter- I really want to see how Lagarde's tone might change. Recall the last few times we've heard from her, she's been extremely hawkish, uh, much more hawkish than, than Powell has been. Uh, I want to see if the growth data really starts to change her mind, or if they're narrowly focused on inflation still. I, I tend to agree with that, uh, Darius. Um, for, first of all, um, if we look at the growth data in, in Europe, uh, we are now clearly in contraction territory for, for a couple of the big countries, France and Germany, to, to, um, to mention a few. Uh, and that is a game changer relative to just a few months ago. Um, and uh, on top of that, uh, if you look at the preferred recession model of the European Central Bank, a model that uh, uses the growth of uh, money in real terms, so the growth of, of euros um, 
adjusted for inflation, and a so-called term spread, so a, a yield curve measure, uh, the probability of a recession is now as close to 100% as it gets, uh, meaning that we are probably already in a recession in Europe. Uh, so I'm more convinced that the European Central Bank is close to pausing um, compared to the Federal Reserve here. And the question is whether they dare saying so tomorrow. Um, mm. We need to remember that it is one of those in-between meetings where they don't update their um, staff projections, meaning that they have less confidence in the outlook. Uh, and typically, they kick the can down the road on, on, on such a meeting. Uh, but they they um, they may decide not to tomorrow because I think the outlook in Europe is uh, deteriorating in a pace that will essentially warrant a, another stance from the uh, European Central Bank very soon. Yeah. And what, one, one final thing I'd say, uh, you also mentioned uh, the BOJ on Friday, uh, Maggie. Um, this is also going to be another snooze fest from the perspective of, of financial markets. Um, but from our perspective, um, you know, they're going to revise up their inflation targets. They have to. Um, but the reality is, I think the meeting that's most likely to be live over the next, let's call it three to six months for the BOJ, will be the October 31st meeting. Um, at the end, in September, their, um, their, 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 uh, their, their price subsidies for fuel and energy uh, and, and certain food items, they actually lapse. And so if they decide to let them lapse completely, we're going to see another surge higher in Japanese inflation. So it may be the case that uh, in addition to an additional uh, interest, uh, 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 rise in their inflation forecast in October, they might actually have to tweak yield curve control. If they don't do it, then they're probably not going to do it at all. Interesting. All right. Mark your calendars, everyone, October, because this is a thing we've all been waiting for and it hasn't happened. OK, so uh, somebody put in the in the chat nothing burger from the Fed today. That probably sums it up. But. Let's talk about something that um, is more consequential, and that is, you know, it really sounds like inflation is going to be key, key here. And there is a lot of disagreement about the outlook, about what's happening. I would say for, for inflation, for the economy, right? We're back to soft landing, no landing, hard landing, you know, uh, and and everyone's all over the map. Uh, so, Andreas, start. I'd like both of you to kind of give us your macro outlooks. Um, I know you both have some awesome charts too. But Andreas, sort of give us your setup. What are you thinking about in terms of those really important conversations about growth and about inflation? I think the interesting thing here right now is that we get more and more signs that the sort of cyclical part of the economy is picking up right now in the US. At least that's what the market is telling us. Um, you should not always trust the market, but the market seems like it has sniffed out something here uh, when it comes to the cycle in the US. Um, if we look at commodities, um, they, they try to, to rally higher here, uh, which is typically a sign of a cyclical upturn or a, a, or a positive mood in, in, in the cyclical part of the economy. If you look at the US dollar, it's weakening. Um, that's also typically something that you will uh, experience amidst a uh, a positive rebound in the economy. Um, cyclical equities are starting to move as well, um, everything from industrials to materials, et cetera. So it's kind of an interesting backdrop if you look at the economy from a uh, market perspective. And uh, I think it's the big question for the Fed right now, uh, whether this cyclical part of the economy, everything that is very interest rate sensitive, um, so energy, industrials, materials, if we see a pickup in um that part of the economy, um, it, it may um, 
end up in a very tricky situation for the Fed in a few months from now, uh, because it also means that goods inflation will start uh, rising again. Uh, and if we look at headline inflation right now, we, we just got below 3% in, in the June report, but we have some extremely harsh base effects to, um, to combat over the next couple of months here. And I actually have a great chart showing that. Um, I think it's chart number five, Brian. Um, if we look at headline inflation, from here and until the meeting in September, um, it is very likely that we get above 3% again, unless we get some major surprises on the low side in the uh, core inflation measure, uh, because energy is moving upwards. Um, and the inflation in July last year printed at zero uh, percent. Uh, so if the monthly pace of inflation is just 0.1% uh, through July, I think it's very likely that it is. Uh, then we will get a pickup in the yearly um, inflation measure ahead of the September meeting and likely be back above 3%. And I think the Fed can, can very well use that as an excuse to hike again if they want to. Um, and the latest set of dot, uh, dot plots basically showed that they had a willingness to hike another um, 25 basis points this year on, uh, on top of what we saw today. So I think that this is really the key question right now. Is there a cyclical um, upswing brewing here? Um, as a consequence of lower energy prices, as a consequence of a weaker dollar. And I wouldn't rule it out. And that would certainly lead to a completely different macro landscape than the one that we've been dis discussing over the past couple of quarters here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agree. Darius, yes. decide how you th see it setting up as well. And my question, of course, is going to be, is this priced in? Yeah, so is a, is a return, is a surge higher in inflation? Uh, surge is probably too strong of a word. But is a rebound in inflation, and more importantly, a firming of inflation relative to consensus expectations priced in? Absolutely not. If you think about what's been priced in asset markets, and we run a pretty sophisticated dynamic factor model to identify what the market's pricing in from a regime perspective and the probability of that regime, you know, kind of um, dissipating or inflecting. And what's been driving asset markets from, from the perspective of that, that system is this sort of concept that immaculate disinflation is inflating soft landing expectations. So you have what we call transitory Goldilocks. We're in this sort of you know, multi-month period of where it feels like the economy can do no wrong. We had soft landing, we had inflation going down, so that's great. And so uh, going back to your question of whether or not that's priced in, clearly if we start to see something, uh, the, the, the narrative around immaculate disinflation shift, we're going to actually lose the ability for the market to say, well, I can you know, roll that forward into soft landing, rising soft landing expectations. Uh, Brian, if you throw up our chart five, um, where we show uh, you know, several measures of underlying inflation, uh, so we have median CPI, trim mean CPI, median PC deflator, trim mean PCE, and then we have core PC and super core PCE. And one thing I call out um, in the context of this chart is that you know the blue bars show the three-month annualized growth rates, the red lines show the year-over-year. -year. The year-over-year -year number rate of changes on, on a lot of all of these statistics are going to continue heading lower in the next few months just to catch down to where the, the 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 sequential readings are. But what's concerning about the sequential readings, particularly if you look at you know median CPI, trim mean CPI. We're no longer really making progress. Now it's like one month you know, of you know no longer really making progress. But if we start to stall out at levels that you know somewhere between three and four-ish percent in terms of these more core underlying measures of inflation, uh, that's going to be a big problem. And the reality is, that's the highest probability outcome at some point over the next let's call it three to six months. Um, if you think about you know our view that the U.S. economy is unlikely to enter a recession until we get into Q4 or Q1 of next year. And that's what I mean, into recession. So obviously we won't be you know, deeply into recession until you know, maybe let's call it second quarter of next year. You know, if you go to slide four, Brian, where we show our hope plus side framework on business cycle dynamics, 
it's very likely that, you know, between now and let's call it second quarter of next year, at some point we're going to see inflation kind of bottom out and be, get become sticky again. And the reason for that is that it's very unusual to have observed as much immaculate disinflation in the economy as we've uh, as we've seen to date. And so what this chart shows is the delta adjusted Z score of, of a basket of indicators that represent each of these cycles. And so we have the housing cycle, which tends to break down right around 18 months out of a recession. We have the order cycle, which tends to break down right around eight to 10 months ahead of a recession. Production and profit somewhere around four to six months ahead of a recession. Employment tends to break down right you know, on, on the doorstep of recession, which makes a lot of sense given the NBR's you know, process. But what we tend to see is that inflation is the most lagging indicator of the business cycle. And so this is a long-winded way of saying, we've gotten a lot of immaculate disinflation. It's likely been because of the transitory elements of inflation have dissipated or disinflated. And we're going to be left with a structurally higher level of inflation that is inconsistent with 2%, which means we actually are going to have to go through the inflation process to get it back down to and potentially through 2%. Through 2%. So that is going to be an issue for the market. It's not an issue for the market yet. It'll probably be an issue for the market. Let's call it fourth quarter, first quarter of next year. Uh, so we have some time to, um, to, to wait and kind of you know see this play out. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think we all know by now Things are pretty fucked out there, for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again. March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. Yeah. So, Andreas, I mean, at the risk of oversimplifying this, why is everyone getting this wrong? Or why are people, maybe the better question is, why are people so married and so quick to return to that soft landing goldilocks you know some of the terms that darius threw out why are we why is everyone so quick to to assume that that's how it's going again uh, but to be honest um maggie i think i'm the perfect subject matter expert here because this is the first time in my adulthood that i experience inflation uh, and therefore my sort of uh, equilibrium scenario or the scenario that i've known uh, throughout my adulthood is a scenario with no inflation or at least low inflation. So you've you've not really known an inflationary environment. No, exactly, and and that is why my sort of equilibrium um, state is a state of no inflation. That's the only thing I've known, um, and I think a lot of participants in, in global markets uh, kind of uh, look at the past, say, ten to fifteen years for a playbook uh, when stuff like this happens, and you don't have a playbook, uh, and that's the big issue here. Um, and I guess the overarching discussion now is whether something has changed for good as a consequence mm -hmm. of the pandemic. I, I'm not overly convinced myself that uh, we will enter a, uh, say, a decade of higher inflation than usual. Uh, but it remains to be seen. I mean, if we look at, at for example, the um, broad supply of money right now, um, both in US dollars and euros and sterling, um, it is essentially down uh, versus a year ago. So there are fewer dollars around. There are fewer euros around. Uh, and at least if you could look, look at it from a textbook perspective, that should lead to 
much less inflation, maybe even negative inflation down the road. Uh, and on my most pessimistic indicators, we will actually enter deflation next year, but I'm I think it's still too early to call it. Um, and I agree with Darius that there are some signs of the cycle of inflation picking up into 2024 again. So I'm caught between a rock and a hard place, and I'm very, very uh, short-term in all of my trading right now as a consequence of it. Yeah, interesting. I mean, you could also say it's recency bias, right? I mean, some people have yeah. never known it, and some people it's just been so long that that's the trade. Darius, are we? Um, do you buy into that that idea that we're things are different and that we're me- the the way we measure inflation is flawed because you hear that as well or do you think that this is just the time needed the time lags are just longer maybe this time around uh, i think the time lags are longer this time around we've done a bunch of work on that um you know why the time lags are longer uh let me just before we even unpack that particular aspect of the question let me let me say something on the measurement of inflation i think we talked about this last time i was on but it doesn't matter what inflation is it matters if, where it's going. <laughs> it's the rate of change of inflation that matters to financial markets, the speed of which it's changing. It's not the actual level. The only, the only institution that cares about the level is the Fed, and we have to react to what they're doing. And obviously, we front run what they're doing by monitoring the rate of change, the magnitude, et cetera. So it's, you know, it's apples to apples in the time series. So it doesn't matter if you know, trueflation's right or the BLS is right or the, you know, the, you know, some other organization is right. It's just what does it matter to the Fed? And so, and, and shifting back to the, the, the first, the, the second half of your question, which is, have the long and variable lags of monetary policy sort of um, gotten longer in this, in this particular cycle? Uh, I think they have. Um, there's a few reasons why I think they have. Um, you know, we'll start, we'll list everything we talked about last time I was on, or a couple times ago I was on, where we had a bunch of factors that were contributing to our resilient U.S. economy theme. Recall that almost a year ago to this day, we identified that the U.S. economy, though that lag would be longer in this particular business cycle, and that the U.S. economy would remain resilient, you know, well into 20, you know, 2023. Um, it's looking like 2024 now. Um, so I'll just list those things real quickly and, and add one chart to that, which is uh, one: we had near record cash on, on household balance sheets. We had near record cash on corporate balance sheets, both from a nominal perspective and also as a share of total assets on both of those, um, um, you know, sectors. Private sector income and wealth have outpaced inflation since the start of the pandemic. So as much as inflation's risen, we've seen income and and uh, and 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 wealth uh, rise faster than inflation on a cumulative basis. We've limited credit cycle vulnerabilities. We don't have the kind of capital misallocation in this business cycle that we've historically had ahead of recessions, which obviously means the recession is going to be delayed and/or it's going to be mild or both. Uh, we've limited exposure to the volatile manufacturing sector, which on balance a median basis accounts for 98% of the net job loss in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a business cycle downturn. We also have labor hoarding, which is a complicated topic, but you know we can unpack that. And we also have Bidenomics, which we have this record non-war, non-recession budget deficit uh, in the U.S. economy that's obviously contributing to the resiliency of nominal GDP. And so one final thing I'll add to that list, um, so I'll go to slide two, Brian, if you can throw that chart up. So this is a pretty wonky chart. You know, I, I, I fancy myself and <laughs> pretty schooled at making a complicated charts, but I'll take some time to explain this. Um, you know, so what this chart shows, the blue line uh, in the top panel shows the basis point spread between the yield on the on the um, U.S. corporate credit aggregate index and minus the coupon. And so right now the yield is 157 basis points larger or wider than the coupon. The last time we had such a large um, spread in this in this indicator. The red line, you know, which is uh, the, the Lubbock Williams estimate of R star, which is the natural, the neutral interest rate, uh, was somewhere around, let's call it two and a half, two two and a half percent. Um, the next panel in this chart 
shows that same corporate credit index, U.S. corporate credit index, and we show the duration of that index at right around 7.4 years. And the last time we've had it this high, it was the late 70s when the R star was somewhere around 4 to 5%. Um, you go down to the third panel in this chart, so we're showing the same analysis as we showed in the top panel relative to the mortgage-backed securities. So we're you know, going from corporate tech credit to, let's call it household credit here, and the spread between the yield and the coupon on the mortgage index is 192 basis points. It hasn't been that wide since the 80s. Um, you, so you know, we had to, going back to the R star discussion, you know, R star was somewhere around three and a half to four percent back then, and then finally the, the duration on the mortgage-backed security index is right around 6.4, and R star was somewhere around three to four. And so that's the long-winded way of saying two things: one, both the, the private sector, both consumers and, and and corporates, have termed out their 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 liabilities. And so that you know the tightening of monetary policy that we've experienced thus far hasn't really affected them because mm -hmm. they have these longer-term you know loans and then leases, et cetera. And secondarily, because of that spread is so wide, it's probably causing a lot of stasis in terms of the issuance of new credit and the financing of new home purchases, right? And so there's not you know not, it's like a double whammy of why monetary policy from an interest rate perspective has been so ineffective. It'll eventually become effective. Eventually, these loans will come due, and they have to refinance at higher rates. It just means the process is taking longer and it's allowing all those resilient economy factors that we just listed to, you know, kind of fester and contribute to economic resilience. Yeah, which is not a bad thing necessarily. I mean, this is what you could argue is part of the soft landing, because if that rolling process is spread out and the rug isn't pulled from everyone at the same time, it's a lot more manageable, right? 100%. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's why the probability of a soft landing, in my opinion, is higher than the probability of having a recession in the very near term. I still think a recession is the modal outcome, but a probability of having a soft landing is higher than the probability of waking up tomorrow and the U.S. economy being in a recession. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Um, Andres, this is probably why you, you're, speaks to your meme of the day, right? Should we roll that out? <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Um, Paul has apparently landed on the moon. Um, at least it was. I, I think he tried to convey that message today. Um, and I, um, I let me just find the exact phrasing here because I think the Fed basically went from from saying that they needed a recession to lower inflation um, to saying today that Paul admitted to no longer forecasting a recession. It was no longer the base case of the Fed. Um, and they've went from from one scenario to the other in one in under a year here. And and to me, that is a consequence of the Fed being much more upbeat today on bringing inflation down, without having to completely kill the labor market to get there. Um, and I actually think that the most recent data suggests that there is a chance uh, to quote Jim Carrey here. Um, and I. I, I I honestly think that the probability has has risen uh, for such a scenario over the course of the past two two or three months here, uh, and that is probably also why the Fed um, is starting to acknowledge this uh, this scenario to a larger extent and, and started to sound more upbeat on the actual possibility of of creating a soft landing. Um, it is 
not the um, standard scenario to expect given what we see in the yield curve right now, but you shouldn't rule it out. But I, I actually have one thing to add on, on, on the leads and lags and inflation. And I'd like your take on, on it as well, Darius, since you're uh, one of the best followers of, of, of US inflation I know out there. Um, if we look at inflation right now, um, it is basically mostly made up by the rent of shelter cost. Um, if we leave uh, the rent of shelter aside or we set it aside, inflation is already gone. Yeah. And if we use various live gauges of, of the cost of rent, um, we, we probably get to levels close to zero in inflation, maybe even below zero if you uh, use some of the online um, versions of the um, rent of shelter cost. So the big question is whether the Federal Reserve is, is constantly late as a consequence of the rent of shelter category. I don't really have a strong opinion on it myself. Um, as a client of mine uh, repeated on the chat when I shared the chart of Powell's uh, favorite inflation measure, so services X shelter, um, thank God. I'm homeless was his response to that, because obviously you need to take um, the cost of living into account uh, also when it comes to the rent of shelter, right? Uh, so what do you make of it, Darius? Do you think the Fed is late to the party, both on the way up and on the way down as a consequence of this category? Yes, uh, 100%. Great. Well, one, phenomenal, uh, uh, you know, kind of um, setting up that question. I, I think you are also one of the world's best at this as well, so I appreciate the compliment. Um, I will say, yes, I, and I think it's on purpose. Because the reality is that, you know, as much as Zillow can tell you what home prices are doing based on their metrics or, you know, these other private sector um, entities, the reality is just because Zillow tells you what a home price is doing doesn't mean that we all have new different rents or we have all new different mortgage payments, right? You know, so this, this process of the inflationary impulse in the economy taking its way to, you know, taking some time to just kind of filter through the actual economy uh, is something that is, is is real. It's a real tangible thing, and it's why the BLS measures inflation the way they do. It's why the the the, the B um, you know sorry the BEA measures inflation the way they do. Um, I agree with you, and 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 you know I would push back a little bit on your your client um, the commentary because inflation has really come back to two percent or even below two percent in some respects. You know when you you know kind of exclude these more lagging indications of inflation, and they're not lagging. They just haven't happened yet, but we know they're going to happen once people's leases renew and their mortgages and change mortgages and things of that nature. And so, you know, the reality is, if you look at um, CPI, we got this data a couple of weeks ago on Friday. We'll get the PCE data, the commensurate PCE data. You know, if you look at core services or super core PCE, so core services X housing for CPI, that number is at 1.4 percent three-month annualized in June. 1.4 percent. You know, we're at 3.8% three-month annualized in, in, in super core PC inflation, that, that same measure, but that number is going to go way down on Friday, um, and, you know, because it tracks, it tends to track the CPI statistic uh, pretty closely. So I think, you know, it's from the perspective of the very leading indicators, the leading edge, the vanguard of inflation statistics, it's likely that we have gotten back to 2%. The reality is, however, if we don't go into a recession and the labor market continues to, you know, remove, you know, slack, you know, by obviously hiring more and more people, and you know that, that that's the nature of this, this business cycle process. Eventually, those numbers that are you know 1.4 or something, you know, a little bit higher for PCE, those numbers are going to prove to be unsustainable, and we're going to start to tax the economy and, and really you know drain slack and, and and really tax the supply base of the economy again. And that could be a 2024 story if we do in fact have a soft landing. Now, again, I, I've been on record here. I don't think a soft landing is the highest probability outcome, but I do think it's a higher probability than a near-term recession. 
And if the soft landing be, becomes the actual outcome, i.e. we actually do wind up soft landing at some point in the first half of next year, then we're going to see super core CPI, super core PCE, core PCE really get firm and start to accelerate again. And that may, that process may actually happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. You know, um, super interesting. I want to read a comment that someone put here because it's been interesting to watch. So G Media says, the only thing I say is that no macro analyst would have suggested two years ago that with 5% rates and QT, the S&P would be so close to an all-time high. And it is true, 11 rate hikes, highest level for interest rates in 22 years. And we have the S&P 500 up 19% year to date, NASDAQ 35%, and they've inched back a little. Dow closing in on like one of its longest winning streaks ever. It, it has been very hard for people to wrap their head around. I don't think anybody would have predicted that had happened. I would have predicted it a year ago, but or two years ago, but a year ago, we said the economy was going to remain resilient and everyone was going to be wrong on the recession view. Right. So I'll take half credit for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take half credit for that. So we have a lot of questions coming in. Uh, I just want to mention everybody too, by the way, uh, if you haven't seen it, Meta out after the close, 11% jump in revenue. Uh, the stock was, I haven't checked in the last couple of minutes, but it was up. Um, oh, they must have said something they didn't like. I think it's only up 1%. No, it's up 4% after hours. So it's moving around a little bit. So the conference call may be happening. Obviously, we'll we'll unpack that. Want to talk a little bit more about the stock market, what looks vulnerable, what you like, both of you, as we sort of wrap our head around how the rest of this year may play out. We are up on the half hour mark though. So as we mentioned, if you want to continue with us, if you want to get your questions in, um, you need to be a member. Um, we're going to swap over to members only. So scan the QR code, jump on a trial and join us. We do this every week and we'd love to have you along for the whole thing. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.